Be turning to the gospel according to Luke, if you have your Bible with you and you want to turn there. Uh, in the uh, in the 13th chapter, the gospel according to Luke, and uh, we'll start reading at about verse 15. And uh, here in Luke 13, uh, you'll find now that it starts out with Jesus talking about repentance and, and uh, fruit bearing and all that, and then it comes down, uh, and, the, and the verses preceding what we're getting ready to read here in just a second, the verses preceding it, uh, that Jesus heals somebody, and the ruler of the synagogue has a problem with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, you think about if we were to apply this to today's terms, that if uh, uh, I had a physical infirmity, I had a problem, and I went to the doctor on a Saturday or a Sunday. See, the, the Sabbath to them was actually Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown. So this was likely on a Saturday during the day. Uh, and imagine if you went to the doctor and it turned out you had, I don't know, an ear infection. And that doctor wrote you a prescription. And as you were going to try to get that prescription filled maybe down the road at Walgreens or something, somebody jumped out, yanked that prescription out of your hand, tore it to shreds, throwed it in the garbage and said, uh, Saturday is not the day for that. Uh, uh, you ought not be seeking help and healing uh, on a Saturday uh, uh, because that, that's the Lord's day. Uh, how absurd that that would be uh, uh, for somebody to begrudge you uh, uh, when God has saw fit to bless you, uh, 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 to help you, to jump out and say, uh, you can't do that. Now what happened here? Was this woman, and, and, and I'll just paraphrase the verses up to verse 15. The woman hears, she's heard about Jesus, and we know that faith cometh by hearing. She'd heard about Jesus. She goes out to where he's at. She hears that he's at the synagogue, and she knows that if she can get to him, I don't think it's much different than the woman with the issue of blood. It says she was bowed together, stooped over, couldn't stand up straight, and so she hobbles in like Quasimodo and comes in there, and Jesus Jesus sees her and it says that he has compassion upon her uh, and says this day uh, you're loose from your infirmity uh, and says at that moment she just straightens right up. And everybody marveled because locally she was known to have been that way uh, 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 for a long time. Uh, and Jesus, he just speaks the words uh, and she straightens right up. Uh, and I imagine that everybody was ready to shout. Uh, and, and you think about this, somebody getting up in this church uh, and testifying about the goodness of the Lord uh, and somebody else standing up saying, that's hogwash. You ought not be uh, uh, talking about that right now. Or you didn't go about it the right way, Brother Dennis. Uh, you don't know how to get healed. Uh, Brother Arby, you don't know uh, uh, how to do things right. Uh, let me tell you this. It's awful hard to argue with results though, ain't it? You know, like I've told my students a lot of times, we live in a day and time, like with my students, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll put them over in the lab and they love to go to the lab. And I'll just hand them some stuff. I, I took a group over one time and I had a bunch of stuff just dumped out on the table. We'd been learning about different types of energy. 
And I told him, I said, I want you to make me something that takes potential energy and turns it into kinetic energy. And they knew what I meant by those words. Potential energy, that can be like pulling a rubber band back until you let it go. It's just potential. When you let it fly, it's kinetic because it's moving. And they knew all about that. And I said, here it is. Impress me. And you know, some of them, they took off on it. They didn't hardly know what to do. They didn't know what to make of it. Uh, but others, man, they went right to work. Uh, and they began making things. And I looked around and they were making bows and arrows and slingshots uh, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, but a lot of times, uh, they're always worried about being right. But I told a couple of them, I said, look, you can't argue when you get results uh, uh, that, that it works. And this is what Jesus did. He got a result. He spoke uh, and she was healed. Uh, uh, and yet it was that the ruler of the synagogue, the high muckety muck, he addresses everybody. After everybody's kind of settled down, and say, man, that's great. Jesus just healed this lady. I know her. She's a nice lady, even despite what she's been going through. And now she's healed. Uh, uh, and the ruler of the synagogue says, well, that, that's, that's good, boys and girls. But now there's six days in which to work. And don't be coming looking for healing on the Sabbath day. That's Brother Jeremiah's paraphrase. And so here, we're getting ready to read Jesus' response, uh, His indictment of this man, uh, who I can tell you, He needed touch too because He had a stiff neck uh, and a hard heart, uh, or He would have been more compassionate uh, to this woman. So verse 15 of Luke chapter 13, it says, uh, The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite! Now I tell you, Jesus doesn't address the sinners and the publicans that way. It's always the religious elite. Oh, yeah. Thou hypocrite. He, he just goes right at it and says, Look, you're a hypocrite. And he, and he shows why. He says, Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? He says, you'll do that. You'll open a gate. You'll set them free. And what Jesus had done to this woman was he had set her free from her infirmity. I love that song on page 235 in the hymnal. He set me free because that's what he's come to do is to set those who are in bondage, whether it be a physical infirmity or spiritual or some combination thereof, he has come to set Set them free. And so he tells them, you'd do that. You'd pull a pin out of a gate and swing the gate open and then let the ox or the old mule go out and find water for itself. And what Jesus was saying is, tis but a small thing that I've done for this lady. I set her free. Turned her loose. Notice what he says in verse 16. It says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus says, Look, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. When God makes somebody free, they're free indeed. If you were to look into the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus told them, What the Son has made free is free indeed. Meaning nobody can take it. Nobody can repeal that from her because she came to Him in faith believing. 
And Jesus' harsh words were for this guy who had no issue with Jesus healing people, just had an issue with when he did it. And I've met people like that, you know, that tell, as Jesus said at one point, they'll gag at a gnat, swallow a camel. Yeah. And that's the way that this guy is. And now if that woman had paid Jesus a big bunch of money and it had not been on the Sabbath day, and then he'd have done it, and then Jesus would have greased his palm, I'm sure he would have been fine with it. But his problem was, is he was devoid of mercy. Because you'll notice Jesus' indictments of the scribes and the Pharisees as he told them. He said, you tithe mint, anise, and cumin, and yet you ignore the weightier things of the law, which are judgment, mercy, and faith. These are the weightier things. You'll notice judgment is listed even though this world says, don't judge me. Look, if I judge according to thus saith the word of God, then it is a righteous judgment. And Jesus now, when he let this woman and lose uh, what he was doing was demonstrated what he said in another place when he said look man wasn't made for the Sabbath but Sabbath was made for the man it was made that they may receive rest and the blessings of God it wasn't just so that they could be beaten down with it and condemned and bound Jesus came to set people free You see, because all that the law ever did was bound people in their sin. Not saying that there was anything wrong with the law, but all it could do was make them aware of their sin. And Jesus said, I've come to set them free. And so He did. And He did it for this woman. And notice the response of the crowd in verse 17. It said, when He had said these things, all His adversaries were ashamed, and the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by Him. That they looked around, and I believe partly they said, well, you sure showed Him, didn't you, Jesus? Uh, Jesus had put him in his place. Uh, He told him, look, uh, you're a hypocrite. Uh, You won't help, uh, uh, but yet I'm willing to help and then you condemn me for doing so. And I'll tell you, he got awful harsh with them every time that they would do this. He would point right at them. And toward the end of this same chapter, he stands over Jerusalem and pronounces woes upon Jerusalem because that all that they would do is just destroy and kill when they had the words of eternal life given to them. Readily accessible. But I want you to notice in the next couple of verses how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And maybe if you want to write in your Bible, right next to those verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, put it don't take much. It don't take much. Because you'll notice it says now, after all this was said and done, it says in verse 18, Then said unto he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden and it grew and waxed a great tree and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Uh, uh, The kingdom of God is that thing uh, that once it takes root, uh, it'll really impress you. Uh, It'll really make a change uh, uh, that the Word of God, uh, it just takes a little bit. uh, uh, Because a lot of times uh, uh, what happens in a person's life uh, is they reject the Word of God uh, and they reject it. Uh, They reject Christ. uh, And yet when that little bit penetrates their heart. That's all it takes. And Jesus, after having done this for this woman, this was a small thing compared to the things... Do you think that was the biggest miracle that Jesus ever did? 
No, not by a long shot. You'll notice that the time that the disciples marveled was when they said even the wind and the waves obey his voice. Or maybe his greatest miracle was when he spoke to Lazarus, a man who had been in the grave for four days. And when he told him to come forth, he got up. This wasn't the biggest miracle. But it was enough for this woman and many that saw it. It just takes a little bit of the Word of God. But the problem is, like they say in sports and in motivational speakers say it all the time, but it's true, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Now you think about in your life as a Christian, how often you take your shot. How often uh, that you try to minister to somebody. Uh, uh, and, and I've thought about this a lot when it comes to somebody uh, that I'm really wanting to see saved and praying for. Uh, uh, that a lot of times, uh, uh, if it's one of my loved ones and I go to talking to them, uh, they won't hear me. Uh, they won't listen. Uh, and so a lot of times I'll be praying for somebody I don't even know uh, uh, that knows my Father in heaven uh, that God would raise them up uh, uh, to go to Him uh, and begin to talk to Him in the right way and just bring that little bit of the word of God and get it to the place where it needs to be because I love the way that Jesus said it here he said man he took it and just cast it into his garden just kind of tossed it out there he didn't have a fence built about it or anything the ground was prepared and when he put it out there he didn't know exactly where it was at uh, until that it began to grow uh, and then Jesus said that once that it was done uh, after that it had grown uh, it said looked around and the birds of the air uh, were lodging in its branches uh, meaning that it made a big change uh, and that's the way the word of God can do uh, brothers and sisters uh, don't ever do discount uh, the power of the word of God uh, and how that it can transform a person yes, amen. because Jesus de- just demonstrated how it could transform this woman who had been bowed together for 18 years he spoke the word of God loosed her from her infirmity and set her free uh, and yet uh, the most abundant thing that he gave her was he gave her life yes. and life more abundantly he may, makes another analogy here in verse 20 it says and he said again whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God it is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened meaning that she took just a little bit and put it with a large amount and after just a short while the whole thing was changed. Don't ever discount the transforming power of the Word of God. It doesn't take much. What it takes is somebody getting before Christ. And you'll notice he's telling these people, look, it don't take much. The transforming power of God. Have you heard about what my God can do in a day's time? Took him but six days to create everything. And you think that he can't help you with your problem? You think uh, that he can't uh, work upon your loved one? Uh, You think, uh, don't discount uh, what our Father in Heaven can do. Uh, uh, This nation uh, may be turning from God, uh, uh, but those uh, that keep their eye on the Lord, uh, uh, His faith uh, planted deeply, uh, uh, that though this nation uh, uh, descended, and I've heard people quote this a lot, uh, about the nation that forgets God, it'll be transformed into 
into hell. And I think about what David said. He said, even if I make my bed in the belly of hell, that you'll be with me. And that may be the case for here. But church, don't you get worried. Because look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It just takes a little bit. A little bit of the Word of God. But one time. You know, I've thought about this a lot. And I showed Mom there a couple of nights ago a clip from a minister I like to listen to by the name of Alistair Begg. And he, he says it and, and brings about a point about the thief on the cross. And how that, uh, metaphorically speaking, he says, you imagine him standing before them there and they're, they're saying, well, do you know how you got here? And they, and they ask him a bunch of questions and they maybe say, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And he looks at him and says, I have no idea what that is. Never heard of it. And it comes down and they ask him questions and all these things. And then ultimately they say, well, and he says the man on the cross said I could come he set me free church that's what we have in Jesus he sets us free that while study of the word of God is important I can tell you that just a little bit will make a big change and I'll tell you this too somebody that gets a taste of it They'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is he that trusteth in him. And they won't just say, yeah, that's really good, but I don't want any more. I can tell you, I discovered a restaurant when I used to work up around Hurricane. They had made some of the best chicken wings I ever had. And trust me, this is relevant. And I went there and I had some of them. My boss took me there, paid for it for lunch. I guess I became one of their best customers because I, how good that their food and everything I had there was good. But a lot of times people come to the Word of God and they're just saying, yeah, I'll take a sip, but I don't want any more. Or they'll find a nugget of gold in this here book and then they'll not begin to dig and look for more. They'll not begin to say, Lord, I want more. Give me all that I can bear, Lord. Help me to understand. Help me to mind this stuff out. That's why Jesus spoke in parables to the people that were following Him. He was saying, I want to know who's really determined to hang with me. Because if you read in the gospel according to John, when Jesus began to say, lest you eat my flesh, lest you drink my blood, essentially saying, unless uh, that you throw your all in with me, then you'll not make it. And said after that he said that, many of them departed. They quit him. You would think, oh no, not a guy, not a preacher as good as Jesus. Nobody would quit on him. And yet it says that they did to where he looked around and all that were with him was the twelve. Everybody else had said, he's, he's, he's crazy. Oh, yeah. And they left from following him. You see, because a lot of times they were following him because they were hungry because they'd heard about what he did with the loaves yeah. and the fishes. Or they were following kind of like some people go to funerals. Yeah. And they're there for the spectacle. Yeah. May not have even known the deceased. Right. And they're there to see people cutting the shine and everything. Or it's a big social event. You know, I heard a minister say at one time that people act like they're at a funeral when they're at church and then act like they're at a party when they're at a funeral. Oh, yeah. Laughing and giggling and goofing around. And then when they're at church, it's somber. Uh, right. And they're not happy. And I'll tell you, it should be the reverse. Yeah. Happy 
is he that trusteth in the Lord. Now, I tell you, that doesn't mean you need to always feel like doing cartwheels up and down the aisles or anything like that. But when you have true joy in your heart, it's like a coat that you put on when you go out there into the cold. It might still be cold, but because of that coat, you ain't going to freeze to death. And you'll be able to bear because that you're insulated against the wickedness of the world. And you see, Jesus, when He talked about the kingdom and how that it could grow if it would find but just a small spot, if it finds just a small spot in your life, it'll change you. But people got to let it in. But I can tell you this, in in the next couple of Scriptures, and I would love to have time to read all of this, but I can tell you, Jesus tells me, He says, you enter in at the straight gate. Amen. You look for that straight gate and you aim to enter there. That's the only one that works. Uh, in another place, Jesus said, I'm the door to the sheepfold. Uh, nobody gets to the Father except uh, through and by me. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, uh, people will try. Uh, they'll seek some other way. Uh, uh, they'll look at those Eastern religions and say, well, karma sounds good to me. Uh, and I can tell you that karma, uh, there's a Greek word for what I call karma, uh, and it's called baloney. Yeah. It don't mean nothing because if karma is true, then Jesus Christ died in vain because karma says you get what you deserve. Uh-huh. And you imagine what a fearful place that would be. Oh to get what you deserve. To cancel out every bad thing with something good. Man, you'd have to have an awful good memory to know all of the bad and cancel it out. Oh, and then if you fall short, well, that's your fault. That's your fault. You fell short. That's not Buddha's fault. He told you what to do. He wrote it down for you. Made a list. You can go through and check it off. But yet Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. He said that no man comes to the Father but by me. You know what that means? That means when, not if, when Brother Jeremiah falls short, Jesus is going to make up the difference. It means that when His Word gets into my heart, yes, I might sin against Him, but I'm a lot less likely with His Word hitting my heart that He set me free from the things of the world. Because I can tell you that one of the biggest things that always hangs over over a person's head is the looming specter of death. Oh yes. My friend that recently got saved and I was blessed to be able to help baptize him, he told me there one day uh, a, a week or so ago, he said, man, it, everything just feels different. Oh yes. He said, I can't really describe it. And I kind of chuckled. And I said, I know exactly what you're oh, talking yes. about. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, you ain't afraid to die anymore. And his face lit up and he said, you're right, that's, that's exactly what it is. I'm no longer afraid of death because that he understands now that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He'll set you free. That's what the kingdom of heaven has done. Because you remember when Jesus sent out the 70... And he told them, into whatsoever town that you enter in, if they accept you, he said, stay wherever they put you, eat whatever they give you, and tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, heal their sick, touch blind eyes, cast out demons. He said, but in the towns that they won't accept you, won't even let you in. He said, 
You go out and you wipe the dust off as a testimony. In no uncertain terms, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both places got the same message. But one got their sick healed. Their blind were seeing. Demons were cast out. People were set at freedom. Both got the same message. But when it took root, it made all the difference. It just takes a little bit when the kingdom of God comes around. And church, I can tell you, you may feel insignificant, and that's all right. You may feel like, you may look around and say, I know I'm not worthy of everything that God's blessed me with. And that's right, you're not. None of us are. We weren't worthy when Christ agreed to die for us, and yet He did it anyway. But I can tell you this, don't ever think that you're so insignificant that God can't use you to lead somebody else to Christ. Don't ever think for a second, because when you do that, you're saying, God, I don't think you can use even me. Rather than saying, God, I know you just spoke everything into existence, and I know you can at least squeeze something out of me. I might be like that toothpaste that you just got to squeeze that last little bit out, and I'm sure we've everyone been there where you took it and laid it on the counter and put your toothbrush against it and slid it. You're trying to get that last little bit, and God, He's better at that than you are. He'll get the last little... He knows your name. He knows the very intent of your heart. He knows the very hairs on your head. When you think He can't use you to lead somebody to His Son, you think... That he can't increase his kingdom with you. That Jesus said if you really wanted to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then become a servant. Decide to serve. Decide to be a blessing. See, when the disciples, they were asking who's the greatest. And all of them now, they were part of those 70 that went out. And when they come back, they told Jesus, they said, even the demons, they listen to us at your name. And Jesus said, well, that's good. He said, but don't marvel so much at that or rejoice so much at that, but rejoice that your names have been written in heaven, that your names have been written down as one of mine. That's the most important thing. Because I can tell you, church, we're living in a day and a time where people are dying and going to hell every day. They're going to hell from quite comfortable places in this world. And I'll tell you, a lot of times when I pray for somebody that's lost, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ is like a pebble in their shoe. Oh yes. They may not notice it at first, but it begins to work on them. And then it begins to increase. That it begins to cause them to look around and say, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I don't like my favorite TV shows. My favorite pastimes just don't seem to do it for me anymore. I'm dissatisfied. I think if, if, if any young person would sit down and read the book of Ecclesiastes, especially in this day and time, because here's something that I've observed myself as a teacher, is that young people are more anxious and more depressed than any generation since. Oh yes. And you look at the tale of the tape. Right now, there's a worse outlook for the world every, every side. 
They get hit by. It's bad news, gloom, and doom. And they're losing hope. Teen suicide is at an all-time high. And they say, well, uh, uh, that's because of cyberbullying and this and that. Uh, I'll tell you, the big thing is, is they're starting to lose hope. Uh, and when a generation begins to lose hope, uh, uh, that's a big problem. Uh, and they can't find hope in this world uh, because there isn't any. Precious little. That my generation, when they grew up in the 80s and early to mid 90s, we had hope that things would be better in our adult life than even what they were for our parents. And this generation is saying, I don't think it'll be any better than my parents had it probably worse. But yet, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. This country, while it may be failing to serve God, God still has His number. I think about that every time I pray. I I start thinking about uh, Elijah when he faced the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. And he stood by himself now, just a speck of the kingdom of God. Uh, And he faced the prophets of Baal, and he won. Uh, God answered by fire, and then we find him sitting down under a juniper tree depressed saying, God, kill me. I think we've all been there at one point or another. Down and defeated. And God fed him. Let him have his little pity party. His vacation. Don't judge him too harshly because we've ever one been there. But then God told him, He said, Son, He said, You don't see the big picture like I do. He brought him up on a mountainside and showed him wondrous things. And, and, and he realized God wasn't in the whirlwind or the earthquake or the pillar of fire. Somebody heard a still and a small voice. Uh, uh, that grain of a mustard seed. Uh, that little bit uh, that will bring about the change. He said God was in that, in that still small yeah. voice. And God told him, he said, look, son, I've got a number that's never bowed down to Baal. I've got my people. You might not see them, but they're there. And here in this country, God still has his people. They may not be the loud majority, but they're there. And all I can say is that they, the ones that rise up against them, they better remember what a praying people can do. Oh, yes. As I think about in the time of Elisha, it says that his servant got up early in the morning. You remember that? And looked around and said, They're surrounded. Surrounded. He said, Master, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And said Elisha wasn't even worried. And he told him, he said, there's more with us than they are with them. That they don't know and they don't see. And then he prayed for his servant. Said, God opened his eyes. And said, when God opened his eyes, he seen that the hills were filled with the angels of the Lord and their chariots and their horses. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's out there in the world. We need not sit back and say, oh, it's a sign of the times. But alas and alack, what can we do? People are still getting saved. God is still on the throne. Jesus is still at His right hand. Mercy is still available. And Jesus, the saving power of Jesus Christ, is the same today as it was back then. But you must tell them. And I don't mean beat them over the head with it. Just tell them. 
Sometimes. And, and, and you know, I, I've seen mom plant enough stuff, and I, I've done some of it myself. Sometimes when you plant something, you need to plant it and then leave it alone. That's right. Just put the seed in the ground and then say, God, you're the one that makes it grow. Yes. I just planted a seed. I can't give the increase. And you hope in Christ. When you plant that seed in a person's heart, sometimes I think we try too hard, especially when it's a loved one. Oh, yes. We try too hard. We beat them over the head with the Bible rather than saying, you know, I love you. Yeah. And I want good things for you. You know everything you need to know. And then you say, God, send somebody oh, yes. that they won't hold in suspect. Telling them things because they know how they've lived. Let them accidentally listen to a minister on the radio. Oh, yes. Let them cross paths with somebody who is unassuming. Uh, one of those silent ones that I know is yours, God. Uh, uh, that the kingdom of heaven may be presented to them. Uh, that they might be saved. Amen. And I'll tell you this. God has His people. You might not be able to talk your kids into salvation, but you might be able to talk mine. Oh yeah. Or somebody else's. The point is, is you go out there and you sow seed and then let God give the yeah. increase. Because there's lots of people out there in the world saying, no, you're not, the way you testify, no, you're not doing it right. Brother Arby, you didn't sing three songs tonight. That's wrong. No, that's perfectly fine if he's serving the Lord and we'll let God do the rest of the work. Brother Jeremiah, your sermon's too long tonight. Brother Jeremiah, your sermon's too short. Let me tell you this, rather than being disgruntled in the details, because it's well said the devil is in the details, rather, let's look up and say, God, whatever it is, I know that you're the one that gives the increase. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. There's some people, I've had people tell me, you're, you're, you're a gifted public speaker. And I, I've seen it. My students, man, I'll get started telling them about something and I'll have their attention solidly. But I'll tell you this. You pray for me that I never find myself relying solely on that as a minister God can use that but I can't save you <laughs> couldn't even save myself can't save you and so yes with the kingdom of God it just takes just a little bit getting to the right spot you take that grain of a mustard seed that Jesus mentioned and you throw it on concrete it, it, it's not likely to grow I tell my students whenever we talk about science, I tell them, look, science is not about possibility, it's about probability. They're like, what do you mean? And I said, and I'll hold out a science book for them. Hold it out like that. And I'll say, when I let go of this, every time I've ever done this, it falls to the floor. And I always make them a promise. I say, now if I turn loose of it and it stays right there or flies up to the ceiling, class is dismissed. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell them. We're talking about probability here. Probability suggests that it's impossible yeah. for it to not fall to the floor. And that's all that science ever does. And people, man, they love to rely on science. I've had many people ask me, how can you be a preacher and a science teacher too? 
And I tell them my definition of science. I give it to my students every year, and it's this. It's man's attempt to understand the natural world. Oh, yeah. Not man's attempt to rule out the possibility of a God. Right. Not man's attempt to explain away God. But just man's attempt really to understand in terms that man can understand what God has done. Yes. And I tell them, you see, science deals in probability, but God, God is a God of possibility. And if you don't believe me, ask the people who walk through the Red Sea on dry oh, ground. Yes. Ask the men in the boat with Jesus Christ when He calmed the wind and the waves. Ask Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus oh, yes. When he got up out of a grave that he'd been in for four days. Ask this woman who had been bowed together. You see, and all it took was just a little bit yes. of the Word of God. Don't ever discount what the Word of God can do oh, yes. in a person's life. And I've heard this lots, and I'll leave you with this before I sit down and hush. I forget where I heard it. Forgive me for lapse in memory. But you see, we as Christians are commanded to love people, not to make them good. Yeah. God makes people good, not us. We're, we're commanded to love them and be merciful. Remember, the weightier things of the law are judgment and mercy and faith. Those are the weightier things. That means that if somebody's doing something wrong... According to thus saith the word of God, then call it exactly what it is and don't equivocate on it. Yes. I weep for a day and time in which that I've heard ministers get up and equivocate about homosexuality. They say, oh, I'm sure they're good people. You wouldn't say that about a liar. No. Or a thief. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that thief is a good guy. <laughs> and I've had people ask me, will homosexuality send a person to hell? Yes. Oh, yeah. Just like being a liar will. Yeah. Just like being an adulterer. Just like being disrespectful to parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that usually gets a, oh, huh. <laughs> I never hadn't really considered that one. I thought that one didn't matter anymore. Well, no, it does. We don't equivocate on sin. We call it what it is. And it is enmity with God. Yes. And then we acknowledge that if we're guilty of any one of them, we're guilty of all of them. Oh, yes. You know what that means? That means the person that might be heterosexual as heterosexual can be, but is a liar. They'll go to the same hell. Yes. Hell was made not for man, but for the devil and his compatriots. Oh, yes. And yet man earns his way in. You think about what a sad thing. That somebody, and I've thought about this a lot, and... I've had to call students to the carpet before in my time, you know, as a teacher and put them to the question and ask them. And a lot of them will look at me and say, I didn't do nothing. Mr. Williamson, I didn't do nothing. Of course, first of all, I'll say, well, you just used a double negative, so that implies that you actually did do something. And they'll say, huh? Never mind. And then I'll tell them, son, I didn't call you over here not knowing what you've done. I'm asking you a question and giving you a chance to fess up. I know what you did. I'm like, no, I didn't do anything. I saw you with my own eyes. 
You think about standing before the great white throne judgment of God. Oh, yeah. And I thought for a long time the Christian people would get out of this. But no. We'll all stand before God and be judged. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is that the Christian, they'll look and say, Yeah, it's all, I, I'm vile. And Jesus will say, I paid the price. I, I, I gave him a gift of my blood. And God will save and enter in. Yes. And then for those that are lost and don't know Christ, they'll say, I didn't do nothing. And God will say, that's right. You stepped over the broken body of my son. Oh, yes. You rejected his blood. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven came to you and you rejected it. And you earned your spot where you're going. That's the saddest thing. When somebody dies and goes to hell, they will have earned their way there. Oh, yes. What does it take for a person to be saved? Just a little bit. Yes. Just a little bit. That's it. And church, we need to pray all the more earnestly in this day and time for these young people who have lost hope. Oh, yeah. For these young people who look at the future and tremble, who are afraid to get out and to live their lives, who are afraid of social interaction, who are afraid of the world. And no, God did not give them that spirit of fear. Yeah. Right. I can tell you, as a man who has trouble with anxiety, I can tell you this though, I've never been forsaken of the Lord. I might have had worries and concerns and cares and things like that, and if you were to look in the previous chapter before this one, Jesus deals with all the worry. And He tells them, Come unto me, all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Church, we need to pray for a generation that can't find any hope in this world, that they might find hope in Jesus Christ. Yes. If they don't find it there, they're not going to find it anywhere because it is a hope that lasts and goes beyond even this life. hope this message has blessed you. hope that the Lord has dealt with you. If he has and you need the altar, you can consider it to be open. You can consider that make tonight the night that a change takes place in your life, whatever it may be, whatever it is that you need, that you would come and get exactly what it is you need.